Thank you all very much. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Thank God for having a relationship with God. I mean, who are we? Who is anybody that can have a relationship with God? Who has a relationship with God here? What a blessing. What a privilege it is. You know, when I talk to people on the streets and I ask them spiritual questions or about the spirituality, they always tell me, well, I belong, I belong to this church or I'm of this religion. Okay? And yeah, church is important. It's very important. Hebrews chapter 10, 25 talks about that. But what are the things that somebody who has a true relationship with God, who is a real Christian, who is in love with Jesus, you can tell he has the love of God or she has the love of God in them. They're not being unforgiving. And they're changed. They're not the same person they used to be. I'm not talking about perfect, but it's visible to everybody. This person has a relationship with God. Having made that as the foundation, my question is, a person like that, what are the things that that person must do? What are the main things that that person must do? I want to take a look at three things that a person that has a relationship with God, that's a real Christian, that loves Jesus, that's changed, but must do. Three things. And the Bible is very clear about all these three, three things. And Pastor has spoken about one of them significantly uh, very recently. I want us to turn to Luke chapter 6. 46. Luke 6, 46. It's a very, very short, one sentence, but very cutting statement from our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? Obedience is not optional. When we serve our Lord, we call him Lord because he expects us to obey him. Jesus told them, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you assume? Why do you say, I'm your Lord? You know, Messes Castle, you don't listen to me. What are the three main things? I want to look at the first one very briefly, because Pastor has been touching on it a lot. And that is prayer. Somebody who has a relationship with God should be praying. Amen? We all know that, and since Pastor has talked on it, my first question is, are you doing it? Are we praying? Now, by daily talking to our, our Lord, what does that show? It shows that we believe Him. <laughs> by praying and talking to Him, the first thing it shows is we believe He's hearing us. How many times people don't pray because we really don't believe that He's hearing us? And then the second part of that, we believe that He's going to answer us. How many times people don't pray because I'm not sure if God even hears me. I'm not even sure if God, why even pray? It doesn't help. Well, that's not going to be helping because the Bible says that God will help you and bless you until do those. He'll, he'll bless people on those who believe him. If people don't believe him okay, and who he is, then you're starting off on the wrong foot. Prayer has to have that basis. Now, and is it sufficient to just be praying? 
every two weeks or every week or every month, we all would say, no, we have to be talking to him daily. Listen, let's bring it down to relationship with our spouse, relationship with our mom, with our dad, with whomever that we are. If we are only talking to our spouse once a week, once a month, we're going to have problems. If you as a child are only talking to your mom and dad infrequently, they're going to go, what's wrong? And all of a sudden you say, okay, dad, let me borrow the keys. Okay, dad, can I have $20? And you're not even keeping a relationship with them. And then you wonder why they don't want to be able to help you out. The way that you show somebody honor, the way you show somebody that you love them, is you talk to them and you honor them. Let me just give you a, a real heads up, kids. If you want your parents to be able to listen to you and help you out with some of the things you want, talk to them. (laughs) Show them that respect. Love them. Get close to them. And I'm not talking superficiality. I'm talking where you make an effort to be able to do that because you appreciate them, because you, you, you honor them and you value them. If you do that, I promise you, your parents, they're going to want to be able to bless you. Is Jesus any different? It's the same difference because God is a God of relationships. You know, some people will say, well, prayer. You you just don't understand. I am too busy. Again, try doing that with your spouse. You know, honey, I'm sorry I haven't talked to you since last Tuesday. I'm just pretty busy. It ain't going to work. Or in any relationship that you have, why would that be any different about our Lord? You know, I always get very convicted. And especially when I had, you know, business world jobs, etc., when I would work a lot of hours, and I always got convicted by Daniel. Daniel was a second in command. He was the governor over all of Babylon, second in command. And what does the Bible say? He was too busy. He didn't pray for two weeks. No. In fact, let's turn to Daniel Chapter 6, verse 10 says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since his early days. Wow. couple things on that scripture. One, okay? Here was a man that was very busy. If you say you're too busy, you weren't busier than Daniel. You don't have the responsibilities that Daniel had, the pressures that he had. And back then, it wasn't just a president. It was a king. And kings were notorious for being rough, for being non-merciful. And so here was a man that had all this weight from the top part of him, plus all of the people underneath him. And the Bible says, no matter how busy he got, he stopped what he was doing, and he spent time, and he prayed to his God. What a blessing, and what a conviction for us. You're too busy? I would say, you're too busy. Now, somebody recently told me when I said about the next thing we're going to say, they said, well, I don't have time for that because I pray let me just say this, guys. Having said everything I've just been saying, prayer is not enough. 
It's not. I'll say it again. If all you're doing is praying, you're not going to make it. It's not enough. Let's go on to the second of the three main things that a person with a relationship with God that's saved has to be doing continuously. And that is, secondly, get the Word of God in you. Get the Word of God in your spirit. And there's two main ways to doing that. The first one, what we're doing right now. We're coming to church. You know, this morning I, real briefly in Sunday school, talked about the seven essentials of Christianity. And um, what Pastor Glenn preached on this morning, what I'm preaching on tonight, you're getting the Word of God in you. And that's a good thing. Listen, nowadays, many churches don't have the Word of God as the main event. Nowadays, because people get bored quick and short attention spans, I mean, people come in here and they get entertained with great videos. Sometimes movies. Some churches, they were showing the Dallas Cowboys today. I'm serious. And all sorts of other events that are entertainment driven. Well, that may be entertaining, but it's not going to change you. It's not going to challenge you. It's not going to make you molded into his image. So how do you get the word of God in you? By coming to church and by obeying it, listening to it, letting it be a part of you. I see some of you all right now. And some of you guys are taking notes. Excellent. Because you know, maybe the rest of you guys really don't need to. And that's fine. I know some people who remember everything. With me, I forget everything. And so taking notes really helps. Okay? But it's important to be sensitive and to be attentive in church. To be saying, God, I want to change. Your word, God, is a lamp unto my feet. It is a sword that cuts me, shapes me unto your image. And God, I allow you to do that to me. Because I know I'm not perfect. I know I need to be changed. And so God... Have at it. I want to be changed. And if you come to church with that attitude and you come with a receptivity, then the Bible says you're doing the right thing. In fact, the Bible, it even points out how Paul commended the Bereans. The Bereans in Acts chapter 17 because of how they looked at the word of God. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 17, verse 10 through 12. It says, then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word from, with all readiness, and they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks and prominent women as well as men. These Bereans were, one, teachable, soft-hearted. They wanted to be able to come to church and say, God, I open up my heart. I break up the fallow ground, God. I want to have you mold me. And that's what these Bereans were. That's the challenge, guys. When we come to church, we have so easy. I mean, we've all done it. I've done it. Where we've come to church and... I mean, it's like, that's solid, you know? And you really didn't get anything out of it. Why? It's not because Pastor, Pre Pastor Stevens wasn't preaching good. 
It's because you weren't being a Berean. You weren't receiving the word with all readiness, with all receptivity. And that's something that we have to do ourselves. We have to be the ones that open up our hearts and our minds so God can implant the word of God deeply. When it says they received the word with all readiness, that also implies they obeyed the word. In other words, I'm not just taking it in as head knowledge, God. I want to do it. How many times we hear Pastor Stevens, Pastor Glenn preaching, and yet we don't do it. How many times? And we've all been there. And here you have the Brians, and they go, I don't want to be that way. And Paul the Apostle was commending them on that. Then the second reason he commended them is they were not gullible. They searched the scriptures daily to check out what the great Paul the Apostle was saying and to see if it lined up with scripture. And Paul the Apostle did not get offended. He didn't get upset saying, who do these guys think that they are? I'm Paul the Apostle. Whatever I say, take it for gospel. Oh, the Bible says that when they heard the word, they went home and they did their homework. He said that. Yep, that's cool. And that's cool. And that's cool. And Paul the Apostle said, good job. See, guys, how many times um, we as Christians, we, because we don't know the word of God, and how many times I hear people that, They'll go to other churches or they'll hear something on YouTube that I just heard today or, or other things. I was just talking to somebody at lunch today on YouTube and he's telling me he saw this and this and this and it was way off base. But he had accepted it because it was on YouTube. <laughs> just because you Google something does not mean that it is biblical. Whatever you see here... Somebody tells you, you've got to line it up with Scripture. And if it doesn't line up with Scripture, you say, I'm not accepting that. That's not going to be acceptable in my doctrine because I'm going to follow the doctrine of the Bible. Amen? And so these Bereans, they were commended by Paul the Apostle because they researched, looked at it, and they knew the Bible for themselves. Not just the men, but the women. And Paul the Apostle commended both of them for that. Why must a Christian, must a Christian read their Bible? Well, let me first say, to live for sustenance. Listen, how many of y'all ate today? How about last week? How about last month? I'm not looking at any people that look like they're from Southern Africa right now, so it looks like... It looks like we're all eating, some more than others, but we're all eating, okay? And we eat because we want to be able to keep energy, and we want to be able to live. If we don't eat, we die. It's the same way spiritually. You know, Jesus, one of his titles, he says, I am the bread of life. What an interesting title. One of the best studies you can do is look at all of the times Jesus said, I am, I am. And one of them is for, I am the bread of life. Now, why Jesus never just picked any word just for nothing. Everything that he said 
was to resonate in their minds because back then they lived a certain way, okay? And so he said, I am the bread of life because back in those days, they didn't have a lot of the foods that we have today. And one of the main sustenance to keep them alive was bread. And bread was eaten every day. And usually on all of the meals, not just once a day, because that was cheap. That was able, that was able to nourish the body quickly. And so Jesus said, just like you're able to stay alive because of the bread that you eat, I am your sustenance for your soul. You know, it flashes my mind back to the Old Testament. I think it's uh, Exodus chapter 16. When the, uh, the, the um, uh, Jews had got out of Egypt and they were hungry. We have no food. And what does God, God do? He rains on them manna. Manna means, what is it? They started receiving the stuff and they called it, what is it? And they started eating it and it gave them sustenance. But you know what's one of the most important things about manna? And what God did is it rained or snowed, whatever you want to call it. it all of this manna came down on them. But he, they were told very specifically, you only get your daily amount. I want you to be able to get whatever you can eat every day. And then the next day, you get that amount. You get a fresh amount every day. Do not store it. And some people, I'm tired, man. You know, tomorrow I'm going to kick back. I'm not gonna wait. I'm not gonna wake up early. I'm just gonna just kick back and I'm gonna store a little bit of the manna right here. And I know God said that, but you know what? I'm smarter. And I'm, you know, I'm tired. I've been doing a lot of things. Don't you know I'm busy? Doesn't God know I'm busy? So I'm just gonna store some back there. And they got their pillow that next morning. And while everybody is out there and getting their fresh manna, what do they do? That pillow and feels good. And you just lay there and just rest up some more. You just rest up some more, thinking so smart. And all of a sudden, like, what is that? What is that? All of a sudden, next thing you know, they're full of worms. Because the manna that they saved in that tent, the Bible says, became wormish and started stinking. God made it to where you had to get that manna every day fresh. Because if you try to save some from one day to the next, it became stinky, stale, and wouldn't be good for you. The only time that it worked for them to where they can actually save it was because God didn't want them to work on the Sabbath, on church day, on the Lord's day. On that day, supernaturally, all the rest of the days, it became worms. But on the Sabbath, it was nice and fresh. What? A miracle. But it was a teaching moment to us as well. Because God is saying, hey, if you say, well, I read my Bible yesterday. I read my Bible last week. God is saying, you need to do it daily. I am your sustenance. And I want you to be able to know me. And I want you to be able to eat of me daily. Why? Because Jesus, he says, I am the Word of God. We saw that this morning at Sunday school. John 1.1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus is saying, I want you to eat me. 
I want you to have fellowship with me. I want you to be able to be intimate with me. And the way you do that is you read my word daily. At the end of the, that was at the beginning of the New Testament. At the end of the, of the, of the, of the New Testament, after Jesus has died, risen from the dead, John on the island of Patmos. I think it's about 95 A.D. He's an older man now. He's gone through a lot. And the Bible gives him revelation. The Bible gives him the book of Revelation. It gives him all of these incredible visions. And what was that main thing that he said in Revelation? He said, Jesus, his name is called the Word of God. It didn't change. Jesus is saying, my name is the Word of God. So eat me. So know me. So read me. To get to know, like I said earlier, anybody, if I want to get to know, you know, Sandra, okay? I can't get to know my wife unless I spend time with her. Unless I study her, I evaluate her, and then I ask her, okay, Sandra, now, why don't you like that? Ernie, I don't like it because of this and this and this and this. Okay, yes, ma'am. Now, I know that, you know? So, I wish I can just read everything and go, I got it. But sometimes I have to ask the question. Well, most of the time. And I'm able to then know what it is that she likes and what it is that she doesn't like. And I try to stay away from the things she doesn't like, and I try to do the things she likes. And we do well. How is it that we do with God? What are the things that God says, these are the things I like. These are the things that I enjoy you to do. And these are the six things, yes, seven, that I hate. In fact, if I were to ask some of you, what are the list of things that God says, I hate? And he gives a list of them. There's others, but he gives a list of them. Would you know what those things are? And it's not even the New Testament. It's in Proverbs chapter 6. It lists those six things that he hates. And seven, he says, are an abomination to him. I want to stay away from those things. And then, these are the things he loves. I want to do those things. But how would I know those things unless I read his word? We must not just read the parts of the Bible that we like. Well, I love Psalms. Oh, Psalms is great. I mean, I love to be able to read it. I love Proverbs. Proverbs gives me so wisdom. You know, man, I just love um, the book of John. That's all good. But you've never read Esther. You've never read Nehemiah. You've never read Jeremiah. You know, right now in our Bible reading, uh, in our, our church uh, yearly Bible reading, we're reading Jeremiah. And every time I read that, I get so convicted because he's, he's hitting hard, very hard, and it's challenging me. But that's a good thing. And it is putting me in my place, or more, more, more uh, better said, my carnality, my flesh in place. And then he gives the consequences of not obeying that and living a backslidden life. But I look at that and I go, God, I want to read your, all your Bible. See, guys, it's not, it's not sufficient if we read just the parts of the Bible that we like. And then lastly, on reading, it isn't enough that you read just a portion of the Bible and not the whole Bible. It should be, and I, you know, 
Pastor Stevens does something that convicts me a lot, and I don't do. And I've tried, but I just haven't been able to do it yet. He's a much better reader than I am. He reads the Bible from cover to cover twice a year. It's a lot. It's a lot. But he reads pretty quickly. Um, I read it, and my attempt is to read it once a year. And I think every Christian should read the Bible throughout the whole Bible once a year. And I promise you, especially you newer converts, there are probably some older converts that have been here three years, five years, ten years, fifteen years, God forbid, twenty years, twenty-five years plus, and have never read the Bible completely. That shouldn't be the case. Shouldn't be the case. Because you're missing part of God's personality. And the jigsaw puzzle that is the Bible, once, I promise you, I promise you, once you read the Bible fully, and then you read it again, and then you read it again, all of a sudden, when you read something in the New Testament, Old Testament, you're going to remember about another book, and you're going to go, ah, oh, and you're going to start writing little notes on those scriptures. You're going, to go, you're going to start seeing the correlation and how it makes sense. But how are you ever going to make sense of the Word of God if you aren't a Berean and read it daily and search the scriptures daily? The Bible says we must read the Word of God. It establishes us. It establishes our faith. And it makes us to work immovable. And so when the storms of life come, we may take some heavy blows. But you know what's going to happen? It's so true what Jesus said. The storms are going to come, and we may go, oh, still standing. Devil, get out of here. Because we're rooted and grounded on the word of God, and not just on the parts that we like. So, these two must-dos that I just finished saying, praying, reading our Bible, really they show how deep of a relationship we have with Jesus. But now that we are reading our Bible and praying, we're read up, we're prayed up, locked and loaded. What else should we be doing? The third thing, and the purpose for our lives, and that is to witness, to evangelize. What good is it that we're full of knowledge, full of the promises of God, if we don't share that with other people who are hurting, who don't have a hope, who don't have those promises, or who are on their ways to a devil's hell, and you know the answer, and you don't share with them. It's not an option. We must share the good news that is in us. Well, you don't understand. I believe that religion is a personal matter. And we should not be sharing that with others. We keep it to ourselves. Haven't you heard? Politics, religion, don't share it. Well, I know that's what the world says. Coming straight from hell. Well, maybe not the politics part, but for sure, the things of God. Because Jesus is the one that says, go and tell people. Matthew 28, 19. Let's go ahead and read that scripture. Go therefore, this is Jesus' own words, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Now, that scripture there, it isn't a suggestion. It's a commandment from God. We must go 
and witness. If we're going to make disciples, what do we need to do before we make a disciple? We need to share the gospel. We can't just go from them being a sinner to now being a disciple. We've got to be able to share. And some may not listen. I understand that. Well, I'll even clarify that. Most don't listen. And I know it's frustrating. It's hard. But so it was with us. Yo era cabezón también. Weren't you? We were all kind of hard-headed to a certain degree until finally people kept on and praying for us. And thank God we're here today and we are saved and in our right mind and on our way to heaven. But it wasn't always that way. In the beginning of the book of Acts, the Bible says that God filled them with the Holy Spirit. With what purpose? So they can go and make disciples. Let's look at Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Look at this. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my what? My witnesses. This is not just Jehovah's Witnesses. It's not just, it's you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying at the very beginning of the church, where did the church start at, really? Start in the book of Acts. And what was the very first charge that God says, the very first commandment, the very first mandate? It says, go and witness and share the hope that is in you. People are hurting. I want you to be able to go and share it. Now, we Christians, we have the best and most awesome blessing, the most greatest possession in our lives, I mean, of, of, of anything in the world, and that is we have salvation. We have freedom from our sins. We're not going to hell. <laughs> Thank God. Who are we that God has forgiven us? We know the answer. And what's that answer? It isn't religion. It isn't all of these bunch of things that we have to do that are so hard that hardly anybody can do. Jesus was telling the Jews, you make life for people hard, he said. You give them all of these requirements when all it is is grace. All it is is the blood of Jesus. All it is is believing in me. And we know that. We have the greatest possession that anybody can ever have. More than money, more than anything. What if, lately I've just been so um, laden with so many People who, you know, have gone to so many hospitals lately, so many mental hospitals lately, funerals, suicides. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. And as I, you know, think about my mother-in-law and, and, uh, and, and the cancer, and I think about Jesus Molina, um, and I was with him uh, at um, Thomason, and he's under so much pain because he's got a tumor in his head, and they're hitting him with so much radiation, and it's, and it's tough. What would it be if somehow somebody shared with me this right here, Ernie, is the cure for cancer. And I promise you, you give this to your mother-in-law and it'll be taken care of. So I go and I take it to her and she drinks it and all of a sudden she starts telling me, my head's not hurt anymore. And I see that she's not throwing up anymore. And she's not having to get, I think it's already, she's on her 10th or 11th blood transfusion. And all of the other stuff that she's going through, 
And I see that all of a sudden already she wants to eat. And it, and it works. And it's a cure. What kind of a person would I be if I just share that amongst us and I don't take it to Jesus Molina? And I know that he's hurting. His pain, it's, ex, it's, it's extensive. It's, it's very rough. And they're giving him all this pain medication. But he wants to be not like a zombie. He wants to be able to be thinking and talking. But it's excruciating. And I keep it to myself. And I don't give it to him. How can I do that? That would be to the worst kind of selfishness. Isn't what we have in Jesus a lot better than a cure for cancer? Really? Because if my mother-in-law or Jesus or whomever else, God forbid, dies of cancer, but they have Jesus and they make it to heaven, but if they get cured of cancer, but nobody shares with them the gospel and they go to hell. That's where the problem's at. See, there are some people in here right now and you don't have cancer. But you're worse off right now than my mother-in-law and the Jesus Melina and that our brother Pepe. Because even though what Pepe went through, very tough and we're all crying out for him. He's a child of God. He has the blood of Jesus on him. He eternally is already set. Are you? Is your mom? Your relatives? Your co-workers? You have the answer! Are you sharing it? You claim that the Holy Spirit is in you. Question. Does the Holy Spirit want to see your mom saved? Your co-worker saved? That person that you know that's hurting badly saved? Of course. But if the Holy Spirit lives in you, why don't you have that same burden? See, God commands us. He says, you have the greatest gift. Why aren't you sharing it? Why aren't you trying to get them away from hell? See, the Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 33, it says, if a person dies in their sin, but you don't show them the way and help them. They will die in their sins and go to hell. But their blood I will require at your hands. Read it for yourself. Ezekiel chapter 33. It's one of the most scariest parts of scripture for me. Now, I don't know. And I'm not going to claim that I know all of the things that, that those scriptures entail. But I know it's scary and I don't want anything to do with it. So therefore, God, help me to be able to open my mouth and to share the love of God and the hope that is for them. And after that, it's on them. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 33 that if you share the word of God with them and they still don't obey it, then they may go to hell. But you're okay because you have done your part. You have obeyed God and shared the hope that is in you. See, there's good news in addition about bringing the gospel because not just that they avoid hell, but listen, there's a lot of people out there that don't know how to be a good father because they learn from their fathers. Don't know how to be a good husband because they learn from their dads a wrong way. 
We know the answer. We can, I look at some of you guys and I remember when you came in here and how messed up you were. How messed up I was. And we learned what the Bible says and how to be a good husband. How to be a good father. How to be a different person. And God started molding us and he's molding us and changing us. And we can give them that hope. We can tell them, listen, there's a better way. Today is Sunday. On Friday, I get a text. And a um, person that uh, is telling me, you know, um, now I don't think I'm going to be going to church. He just barely came once, twice. And I've been working with this person in China, and they're having problems with their uh, wife. And I think they may be divorced now, but they, they were married, and they're trying to get it back together. And Anyway, and... I um trying to deal with them, trying to talk to them, and they said, no, you know what? Um, I'm just not going to go to the door, and we're just going to go to another church. And, and I said, listen, we're here for you. And if you're, whenever you're ready, we're here for you. And I left the door totally open. He called me, whatever. And some of these conversations were late at night because the person um, was having some hard problems with their uh, issues and um, so then that, this one was about you know I was talking to my my wife about it I looked at it so then I was about seven eight o'clock at night two forty five three o'clock in the morning I received uh, texts and calls from the person's sister and they tried to commit suicide heavy heavy dose of stuff and almost successful slurred speech didn't know just what the damage was going to be and I was like oh God. I didn't know it was to that level, you know? And here, I, I'm not sure if I, what I could have done differently because I was trying my very best. But my point is, there are many people who are hurting. Many people who are hurting out there. promise you. Many people. And some of them may even be in here. And here's the good news. Jesus loves you. And there is hope. There's an answer. And that answer Churches don't save you. The one that saves you is the one that died on the cross and will pay for all of your sins. And we know that answer. And we can share that with our loved ones, with our people at work. And wherever God will use you to touch people that are in your circle of influence that maybe the rest of us can't reach, but you can. Why aren't you? God is saying, I have made you as ambassadors of Christ For me, for the ministry, the Bible says, of reconciliation. And it's time to do that. The Bible says in Luke 14, 23, Go into the highways and to the hedges and compel them to come into my house, that my house may be filled. God wants heaven to be filled. Do you? God wants more people to go into heaven. Do you? Are you... Letting God use you to witness and to touch people. God uses us. And sometimes we feel like we're not worthy, and we're not. But Jesus, as we saw this morning, justifies us, washes us with his blood, and then he says, go. But God, I'm not perfect. I'm not this, and I'm not... God says, go. Moses, but God, I can't talk. Go. And all of a sudden, Peter, he went from... Denying Jesus three times, wanting to quit the ministry, cussing, getting it right, 
getting filled with the Holy Spirit, he starts preaching and 3,000 people get saved. That was a instrument, a cup that was temporary, that was not good, that was problematic. Peter had all sorts of problems, but he obeyed God and he went and the Holy Spirit helped him to be able to touch lives. He wants to do that with your life and my life. See, when we have the Holy Spirit in us, and when we say, God, I'm going to witness, it's not something we do. Witnessing and evangelism is something we are. It has to be a part of us. God, you are in me. I can't but share your hope with my friend at work, with my relative. I have to, God. Why am I feeling that way? Because the Holy Spirit's living in you. And you're an instrument that he wants to be able to help. The Bible says in Proverbs 11.30, He who wins souls is wise. Shouldn't we want to be wise in God's eyes? So many times we want to be smart in the world's eyes. You want to be the smartest guy, the most uh, able guy, the most competent guy, the most whatever kind of guy. Shouldn't we want to be wise in our Lord's eyes? And if you do, God says, win souls. Lastly, we must have a sense of urgency right now when witnessing. It isn't good enough that we're saved and that we're on our way to heaven. Look at what's going on in the world. Guys, I can share with you guys, but I'm ending it now. The things that are going on right now, yes, crazy. So many respects are crazy. Since the last day I did, the last time I did the Damascus one, it's even got a lot more. Time is short. The rapture is about to happen. And God says, it's time for you to be my witness. You know, guys, as I close, we need to keep the main things, the main things. Prayer. Reading our Bible. Witnessing. And it's not, obedience is not optional. Luke 6.46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do it? We have to obey God and say, yes, Lord. You are my Lord, and I am in relationship with you. I love you, God. I'm changed, and I am going to be praying every day. I'm going to be reading my Bible with the goal of reading the Bible entirely in a year. And I'm going to witness God. I'm not going to let shyness or whatever keep me back because I have your Holy Spirit and I'm going to do it. Amen? I'd like to have every head bowed and every eye closed, please. Hallelujah. Let's keep the main things the main things. But you may be listening to this right now and saying, I'm one of those people that are hurting. I'm one of those people that right now doesn't have hope. I right now am going through lots of problems. And I recognize many of those are self-inflicted. I've made a mess of my life, you may be saying. I've got problems. And sometimes I even want to commit suicide. I don't know if life sometimes is worth it. I don't have a relationship. You talk about a relationship with God, I don't have a relationship with anybody. But I want to change.
And I need a relationship with God. And I want a new beginning. God says, I love you. I have the answer. And that is my son died on the cross for you. To pay for all of your sins. That by his blood you can be justified and become a new person. You don't have to be bound by those things of drugs. You don't have to be bound by the, whatever problem you have. Be it adultery. Be it pornography. Be it stealing. Be it whatever it is. God says, I can set you free. By the power in the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. If that's you and you want a change, you want a new life, you want to have a relationship with the God of the Bible, the creator of the world. If that's you, raise your hand to Jesus. Say, God, that's me, God. Forgive me, Lord. That's me, God. I want you. I need you. I want to change, God. I don't want to be this way anymore. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Save me, Lord. I know there's people here who are hurting, who need God, who want a change. Don't let the devil keep you from being changed. Don't just be religious, but have a relationship with God that's vibrant, that's fresh, that's daily. Don't live on manna that's stale. If that's you and you need that relationship with God, you need to change. Raise your hand to God. Say, God, save me, Lord. That's me. Lord, I want a, I want a, I want a new beginning now. Forgive me of my sins, Lord. Backslider, unsaved person. Anybody here that is unsaved or backslidden, raise your hand to God. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, save me. Anybody here? All right. Christians. What are the three main things that a Christian must be doing consistently if we claim we have a relationship with God? Well, we got to be talking to Him. We got to be talking to Him daily. We got to be reading His Word. We got to be reading His Word daily, not stale bread. And I'm certainly not saying the Word of God is stale, but if all you're living by is what you read in the Bible last week, last month, or whenever, then God is saying, no, eat of me, meditate on me daily. It's no wonder, maybe, why you're having some of the problems you're having and you don't have the satisfaction. When Jesus said, I am the life, that means the satisfaction. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That means the satisfaction. There is no satisfaction out of Jesus. Jesus, you eat of him, he will mold your mind, change you into his image, and give you satisfaction. And then we got to witness. Time is short, my friends. we got to say, God, forgive me. I haven't been doing that, Lord. And God, I make a course correction in my life. And I'm going to be keeping the main things, the main things, God, because time is short. I want to open up the altars. And let's come and let's talk to God. Let's make commitments to our Lord and say, Lord, I do have a relationship with you. But I haven't been acting like it. God, I've been living on stale bread. God, I have not been keeping my relationship with you fresh. I need, God, every single day, God, to be praying to you, to be reading your precious holy word, God, to be witnessing the people, Lord. There are people out there who are hurting, God, and I, God, haven't had your compassion. I haven't had your love to share with them the truth, Lord, and I ask you to forgive me, God. 
I ask you, my God, to give me, God, renewed commitment right now to share at work. There are people that are working with you right now that are hurting. You see them talking about frivolity, talking about all sorts of lewdness and junk, and you can share with them the truth. Don't worry about the backlash. Tell them the truth. Tell them there is an answer. There's a hope. Tell them what God has done in your life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. share with you guys, don't normally do this, but I'm going to share with you guys two um, witnessing byproducts that happened real recently. One was our sister Liz. So Liz, um, as she was um, at Traywood Park, she saw somebody hurting. And so she 
called up Pastor Stevens, called me up. I raced over there, and I talked to this individual. And this individual was <clears throat> uh, was hurting pretty bad. And um, just shared the love of God with um, him. Got him something to eat, and then brought him here to church. Pastor Stevens talked to him a little bit. He's been in service. Now, he's not right now. He's with the family, but he was in church service this morning. And God is changing him and restoring him to where he was. You can ask Liz. He was thinking about ending it. It was very rough. But because Liz had the compassion and said, oh, God, I can't let this happen. It could have been real easy for her. Hey, he's a guy. Hey, you know what? I'm busy. Hey, I'm doing other things. But she stopped and she shared. And then she called me. I raced over there. He's on his way to a very different trajectory in his life than what he was. I'm going to give you another one, okay? Pastor Stevens. And Felix, I hope you don't mind I say this, okay? But um, so here you have Pastor Stevens goes, and he's getting his mobile service, and there's a wonderful young man in there named Felix. Wonderful young guy. And so then I go and have an opportunity to be able to have a great conversation with him. He gives his life to Christ, and he's been coming now, I want to say, for a week or two, Felix or so, and God is doing a wonderful thing in his life. And Pastor Stevens, he's just doing the phone stuff, but he just shares the hope. How many people like what Liz did, how many people like what Pastor Stevens did, are there in our lives, but we're not doing that I implore you guys, let's keep the main things the main things. Let's say, God, I'm going to pray the way I need to. It's coming a conversation with him in relationship. God, I'm going to read my Bible with the goal of reading the Bible completely once a year so I can know you, God. And thirdly, God, I'm not going to keep this wonderful cure that you've given me of sin and not going to hell and going to heaven and helping me to be able to be a better person. I want to share that with the people that are hurting out there. Can we make that commitment? Let's make that commitment. Let's cry out to God. Let's, let, let's make that commitment to him with all of our voices right now, crying out to him to seal this word in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, my God, for what you've done in our lives, my God. Father, we want to keep the main things, the main things, my God. You deserve us to be talking to you daily. You deserve us, God, to be reading your word, your manna, daily, my God. Not living on stale bread, Lord, but doing it daily, God. You deserve us, my God, to be obedient to you, my God, to share, Lord God, the hope that is within us, Lord. God, help us to be your witnesses, my God. In Jesus' name, robo robo babosa, rolo raba babasa, rolo raba babasa. God, I pray for your anointing upon every single person, God. Your obedience, my God. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, rolo raba babasa, rolo raba babasa. Thank you, my God. Thank you, my God. Thank you, my God. Thank you, my God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Obedience is not optional. Hallelujah. All right, guys. The night is young. It's not even 8 o'clock. All right. So let's uh, go ahead and close us off in prayer, and I'm going to have our brother George Salas uh, close us.
you all.